All right, welcome everyone who's listening online today. My name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor here at LifePoint in Westerville. I want to tell you about one quick upcoming event, uh, Trunktober on October 23rd from 4 to 6 p.m. here on the campus. Uh, we are going to have just an incredible time. Uh, you can sign up if you like uh, to fill in and, and, you know, decorate your trunk to your car and, and put candy uh, in there uh, for the kids. You can dress up uh, or just if you have school-aged kids, bring them, invite their friends, uh, and just ha- let's have a great time on October 23rd. Hope you'll be a part of that. Well, I was thinking about something recently uh, about how there's always these unsung heroes on everyone's spiritual journey. Uh, maybe you can identify with that, that you know, maybe there was someone back in the day that uh, was praying for you and invited you to church or shared the gospel with you. Um, I had a good reminder of that this past uh, couple weeks ago. We had a friend over named Amanda. Uh, Amanda and I got to meet when she was a freshman in college about 15 or 17 years ago, I think now. Um, she was uh, a young girl who was raised in a Jewish home and a Catholic home. So her mom was Catholic, her dad was Jewish. And so she was raised in both uh, you know, religions, if you will. And her parents really didn't invest that into her. They said, look, you can basically choose whatever you want. Uh, she really wasn't that interested in either one. When I met her, uh, Tammy and I uh, developed a friendship with her our first year when we served out at Ohio State University. And she was the first girl who gave her life to Christ uh, there at that ministry. So recently she was in town. She came and hung out with us, my family. And, and I had been telling her that my daughters, uh, you know, are go to school where no one's really uh, following Jesus. Uh, and even in their friend group, people don't really follow Christ. And, and they're trying to have an influence, but they struggle sometimes to know if they're ever, ever having an impact. Anyway, so Amanda was sitting at the dinner table and started to encourage my daughters by saying this. She said, you know, In my life, there were people, there were other students, classmates who kept inviting me to church. And sometimes I would go with them. And sometimes they had youth events and, you know, uh, like sleepovers and hangouts and, and go to church. And sometimes they would talk about Jesus. And she said, it wasn't until I was a senior in high school that I actually started paying attention. And during the summer of her senior year, she did a Bible study with one of her friends. And so by the time she met Tammy and I, where we shared the gospel with her, uh, she was ready But she said, I just wasn't ready all those times. And she was trying to explain to my kids that, look, you don't know the influence that you might be having, even though it doesn't look that way. But it was all of those people along the way in her life that kept sowing seeds about Christ, you know, when she was in middle school and in high school that finally took root later. And I was thinking about that's so true of all of our lives, right? That God uses these people along the way, these unsung heroes, if you will, that, uh, uh, you know, he uses to, to help us in our faith journey. Well, I bring it up, we're in this series we're calling Ordinary People. How God uses ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. And it it coincides with our core value of personal ministry that we are all servants. And God uses us as we serve him for his purposes, things beyond us. There's a bigger story going on that takes place in life. And we're his role players, if you will, in that bigger story. I think that... um, if, if it's true that we all play a role in someone else's spiritual journey, whether we know it or not, um, I think that the reality is that a lot of us, we, we don't feel that. Uh, like, like my daughters were feeling, they felt really insignificant in their faith that God wasn't really using their life. That when you see that God is using you, it does something for your faith. 
when he starts to kind of pull the wool back so you can see how he puts things together. And, and like for my friend Amanda, who had all these people who were reaching out to her, when you see that, it really does something in you to grow your faith. When you recognize that God is using your life for something bigger than just yourself, using you as an ordinary person, an ordinary believer to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. When we recognize that, it makes us feel stronger in our faith. But when we don't recognize that, sometimes we feel insignificant. And I can tell you the truth about everybody that I've met. Everyone wants to have a stronger faith. We wanna feel like, and if you're a Christ follower, you wanna feel like you're closer to God, that you and Jesus are walking side by side and that all of the things that are happening in your life matter and that God is using them for something bigger and you wanna feel like you're having an impact. That grows your faith. But even if, you, even if you're far from God, people want to feel like God is paying attention to them that God has their best interests in mind. We all wanna have a stronger faith. So that's what we're gonna talk about today, having a stronger faith. And we're gonna look at a story from 2 Kings uh, chapter six and seven. The story is pretty dramatic. We're only gonna look at a few verses in chapter seven, but I'm gonna give you the overview of these two chapters. And the first thing I wanna share with you is this, is that sometimes we have to take a step of faith. If we're going to have a strong faith, if we're gonna connect to God, we have to sometimes just take a step of faith. Sometimes we gotta move. Here's the background of the passage. So I had mentioned last week about how, you know, when God pulled the people of Israel up out of slavery into the land of Israel, uh, they came out of Egypt, they solidified their country and under King David, they solidified their borders, they solidified themselves as a nation and his son Solomon built the temple and it was beautiful and magnificent. And that was kind of the zenith moment of Israel. But God promised them, if you follow me, if you serve me, I will have my hand of protection on you. But if you turn away from me and serve other gods, I'm gonna take my hand of protection off of you. And that's exactly what happened. King after king after king, generation after generation, they slowly went further and further away from God. They had a few kings that would follow God, but eventually, uh, you know, many of them turned away and they, they broke up as a nation. A civil war happened and 10 of the tribes of Israel became Israel and two tribes became Judah. Judah was centered around Jerusalem and the rest of Israel, their, their capital at the time of what we're talking about here was in Samaria. So they had a, a walled city there in Samaria and there was a king of Syria that was coming against the king of Israel. And so because there was a war going on, the people of Samaria, they, they kind of went into the city and they shut off the walls and that's how they were gonna protect themselves. Well, Syria decided to kind of lay a siege on them. So if they were gonna go out and try to you know, grow crops, the Syrians would come out and get them. If they were gonna go out and try to get food, Syrians were gonna come get them. So the Syrians were camped and they had you know, their fortified camp and inside the walled gates of, of Samaria, there was famine, there was no food to the point where they were like, you know, literally, uh, you know, cannibalism was taking place, people were dying. And the saying there was that a donkey's head was sold for like the highest amount, you know, of, of Eddie Merlot, like steak, right? That this is uh, the most expensive thing they have is donkey head, which nobody would eat a donkey head back then, right? That's the statement. Well, the king of Israel went to God's prophet, Elisha, and he blamed him. Like he said, look, you're the problem. If you would just prophesy something good, you know, make God do something good. And uh, he goes to him, he's threatening his life. And Elisha says, tomorrow, this very day, the floodgates of heaven are gonna open up basically. That, you know, you're gonna have all the food that you need. It's gonna sell for very little money. And, and you know, they scoffed at him. There was this one of the king's men said, you know, he was scoffing at him, said, how's that gonna happen? 
And God said, it is gonna happen, you know, through Elisha. He said, it is gonna happen, but you, the scoffer, you're not gonna get any of it. You're gonna be dead tomorrow. I mean, can you imagine this incredible promise that God is making? He's gonna, he's gonna lift, you know, the famine off the people of Israel in 24 hours. How's that gonna take place? Well, here's the rest of the story. In chapter seven, verse three, it says this. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we will die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. And if they spare our lives, we shall live. But if they kill us, then we shall die. So they arose at the twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. So these four guys, four lepers, understand that leprosy was a disease that was uncurable back in the day, and it was terrible disease. One, just physically, uh, your, your body would lose feeling, your tissue would die, and sometimes, I mean, it was just, it was a grotesque and terrible disease physically. But socially, terrible, because you had to be ostracized from your family and from the people, you had to be separated. So these people are outside the city gate. So they would have you know, lived outside the city gate and then when people would come out, they would drop off food to them and take care of them, but at a distance because they weren't allowed because it was contagious. Well, it's also harmful spiritually because they can't go and worship God. They can't be part of the worship of God uh, you know, with the rest of the people. So socially, physically, spiritually, it's just a terrible disease. These four guys are outside the city gates. They say, we can't go inside because there's famine. We'll die if we go in. We're not even allowed. If we stay here, we're gonna die. Maybe we should go over to the Syrians. Maybe they'll have pity on us and they'll feed us. So they decide to go at night. Maybe they're thinking if, you know, if it's dark out, maybe that you know, they won't be recognized as, as lepers. It doesn't really say why, but they said, you know, they got up and they left. Here's the thing. They took a step. They had no idea what was gonna happen. They didn't know how uh, it was gonna turn out, but they decided to move. They just did something. And I think it's interesting because I realize that even though you and I may not identify with them personally, spiritually speaking, there are times in our life when we know we're supposed to do stuff, but we just don't do it. We start to think about it and we, we think of all the possibilities. We, we could become what uh, paralysis by over-analysis. We, we, we analyze everything to the point where we're, we're just not sure what the decision is. And there are oftentimes we look at God and say, God, I don't know which one you're telling us to do. And then we just choose to do nothing. I was thinking how that has impacted my life. Um, back in the spring, uh, I was sharing a passage of scripture where Jesus, uh, you know, is at a table with Simon the Pharisee and this woman comes in who you know, has a bad pass and she's washing his feet. And Simon says, oh my gosh, if, if Jesus only knew who this woman was. And while I was preparing for that message, I was thinking about how, how terrible Simon is. Like how judgmental do you have to be that this woman who just comes in and she's washing Jesus' feet, like to judge her in that moment, she's, she's finding grace and mercy in, from Jesus and he's just judging her. And I'm thinking, what a terrible human being Simon is. Well, that week I started praying about it and I felt like God put on my heart that I have a Simon issue in my own soul. You see, for weeks at that point in time, I would drive by the corner of one of the streets on the way home and there was always this guy on the side of the road who was begging. Um, he would, you know, just stand there and, you know, Anyone who wants to give him help, he'd accept that. But I would always pull up and I'd always be at that red light and he would be like four feet from my car and he would look in or I, you know, I'm like trying to avoid eye contact. And honestly, I was judging him. I'm thinking, here's this younger guy. He's stronger than I am. He's younger than I am. Why is he not working? 
And honestly, I had no pity on his life whatsoever. I'm just judging him. And frankly, like, I, I didn't care. I'm studying the scripture and I felt like the Holy Spirit was just telling me, you know, what about him? What about that guy? And I'm like, what do you mean, what about that guy? And I felt like, you know, it's just kind of occurring to me. Well, what if, what if he came into the church? What if he came to LifePoint Westerville? And in my head, my first thought was, well, he would just hit everybody up for money. And I'm thinking in that moment, as I'm, I'm just kind of praying and talking to God, I felt like God saying, you're, you're Simon. So I go home and I tell my wife about it. I'm like, I think I have a problem. Like, I have no care or concern for this human being uh, because I don't like the way he lives his life. I don't like the decisions he's made. And I'm just judging him. And, and that's, you know, that's just where I'm at. But I realize there's something wrong in me. I don't have the heart of God. Like, I'm Simon the Pharisee. She goes, well, what are you going to do about it? So I prayed about it and I thought, well, I don't know what to do. So I didn't really do anything. Uh, so after I preached the sermon, the next week I'm driving home and there he is. And I thought, okay. So I rolled down the window. The guy comes up to the window and I said, hey, buddy. I said, I never carry cash. I said, but if, if I were to get you something, uh, you know, if I bought you something beyond like and just brought it to you next time I'm driving by, what is it that you need? And he looked at me and said, well, I have all my, like toiletry stuff. And I'm like, okay. He goes, and I just got a tent. And I'm thinking, okay, all right. And he looks at me, he goes, you know what? I need socks. I said, you need socks? He's like, yeah. I said, what's your name? He said, my name is Mark. I said, my name is Ed. And that was it because the, the light had turned and it was time for me to go. And so I drove away and I told Tammy when I got home, I said, hey, I talked to the guy today, uh, the guy that's been there every, every day for the last several weeks. His name is Mark. I told her about the interaction. She goes, well, what are you gonna do? I said, well, I think I need to go buy him socks. So I, the next day I drove over to Walmart and I bought two big bags of socks. And I'm praying, I'm like, I'll get like longer socks and shorter socks. And then I'll put them all in this big bag. And then what I'll do is when I pull up next to him, I'll give him a couple of pairs of socks. I'll give him like one of each. Every day that I see him, I'll just keep supplying him with socks. I just thinking maybe this, this will combat my Simon Pharisee heart, right? So uh, I didn't see him for a couple of days. And then I drove up and I was getting ready to pull into the lane and that lane was closed off. And I thought, oh my gosh, the traffic was backed up and I had the, the possibility of turning right. And I felt like God said, no, I want you to get around. So I had to wait for traffic to get around traffic, to pull around so that I could pull up next to Mark if he was there. I get over the hill and sure enough, Mark is there. And I pulled up right next to him. I rolled down the window. He came up to the door and said, hey, Mark. He's like, hey. And I pulled out two pair of socks and I handed them to him. He looked at me shocked. He goes, you got my socks. I'm like, yeah, buddy. And then the light turned and I had to go. That was it. I drove home and I thought, you know what? I was, I was surprised at that his enjoyment just, just to get him socks. And I started thinking, you know, maybe this could be the start of a friendship. I could just bring him socks every day. And, and maybe someday, well, you know, he'll go to lunch with me and I'll tell him about Jesus and he'll find the Lord and he'll come to church someday. And like, it'll be this incredible story. But can I tell you something? I've never seen him since. I've never seen the guy since. I have no idea what happened to him. That was the last day I ever saw Mark. I think about that. And I, I told Tammy about it. She goes, you know, maybe he was an angel. Maybe this whole thing was about you, Ed, and it was about your heart. I can tell you that there are times when we have to take a step. And I think I was almost forced into it. Like, I think God was just reminding me, I don't want you to become Simon the Pharisee. I don't want you to start having a judgmental, horrible heart towards people, people that I've made. 
And God used that to change me, but I had to take a step. And sometimes in life, wherever you're at spiritually, you have to take a step of faith somewhere in order for God to start shaping and changing your heart. The second thing is we need to recognize God's provision. Here's what happened in chapter, uh, chapter seven, verse five. It started out, I read this part. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army. So that they said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went to hide them. So here's, here's the situation. This, these lepers who are waiting at the gate, they have no idea what to do, but they realize they're in a bad situation. So they just said, you know what? We got to step out in faith. We're just going to make a move. We're going to go toward the camp of the Syrians. They head over there unwittingly to them. They had no idea what God had done. So they show up and they go into a tent and they're like, oh my gosh, look at all this food. And they just start eating. Like they're just gorging themselves and drinking and doing whatever. They're just filling themselves and they see all the gold and silver and they take it, they take clothes and they go and hide them. They come back, they go to another tent, they find the same thing. They have no idea. They have stumbled onto the provision of God. At this point in time, they had no idea that what God had done to the Syrians is he, he confused them with this supernatural sound of what sounded like an army coming against them to the point where the Syrians, they think, oh my gosh, the Israelites have hired the Hittites and the Egyptians and they're coming on us and we're about to die. And they fled for their lives. They left everything behind, the food, the gold, the silver, the clothes. They left everything and just ran for their lives because God had created a supernatural confusion on them. That's what happened. Now, these, these lepers had no idea that God was active around them. They just stumbled onto the provision of God. Isn't that something? I think it's interesting that we fail to recognize God's provision around us. In fact, it's always been that way. Uh, Paul, the apostle, was traveling into Athens in Acts uh, chapter 17. Let me read to you this little verse. Uh, he's, he goes to the, uh, this, the area called the uh, Areopagus, where they had all these different gods that the Greeks had. You know, they had a God for this, a God for this, a God for this. They wanted to make sure they served all the gods to cover themselves. They even had an unknown God that they served. So Paul, trying to figure out a way to communicate with them, here's what it says in chapter 17, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I, I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Did you catch that part? He's saying, look, you worship an unknown God. I'm gonna make the unknown God known to you. He is the God of the universe that made all mankind. Since he himself made all mankind, he gave them life 
and breath and everything. The hope is that because he gave you these gifts, you actually would seek after him. And he's saying, look, he's not far from any of us. That if we turn to him in faith, he's saying God is right there, ready to come to us in faith. But in that moment, he's saying God gave us everything, life and breath and everything. I think we need to recognize God's provision in our life. And in these leper situation, you know, they are stumbling onto the provision of God and it was a miracle in that moment. It was a really extreme circumstance. In our life though, we tend to have most of what we need. We tend to have the things that we need daily, food, clothing, shelter, a home. That's not our issue. In fact, we have the opposite issue. We have choices. We have so much stuff that we have a tendency to think that this is all ours. And I wrote down just a few things that um, I think the issue is that we, we tend to think that it's all been given to us because of our own efforts, our own hard work, that we deserve it. But has it ever occurred to you that it's possible that all of the material blessings that you have were God's provision for your life? Think about it. How did you get them? Was it the skills that God gave you? The opportunities that God gave you? What if God put those in your life on purpose as his hand of blessing on your life? Has it ever occurred to you? What about your time? Think about how you wanna spend your time. We tend to think of it as this is my time. These are my materials. This is my money that I've earned. This is my time that I have. I decide what I wanna do with my time. What about even your gifting? The way that your mind has been wired, the way that you are gifted in certain things. What if God has given you all these things? That's what Paul was saying. It was God's blessing, his hand of provision over your life that has given you everything. And I think our struggle is we tend to think it's ours, it's mine. I think we need to recognize God's provision. We have to have an eternal lens when we look at our life. We have to think beyond just ourselves. We are role players in the big story of God. Our tendency is to get tunnel vision, to focus on our life as if we are the starring uh, character of our story. And we don't think about much else. We, We just focus on what is it that we want. We look at our life and the things that we have, our gifting, our materials, our our jobs, our uh, our relationships, everything is about us, our time. And that's how we kind of look at the world. And I think what we need to recognize is that God's hand of provision gave us this because there's a bigger story happening. God's story. And we are role players in a huge story of God that's eternal. And our life may be a small blip on the line of eternity, but God is using that for his extraordinary purposes. These lepers were stumbling onto the provision of God. We have to recognize that all the provision that we have is God's stuff. We're here to manage it. And here's the thing, when you recognize that God provided it, then you recognize this is that we have an obligation to share. If God's the one who gave it and God's telling the big story, we have an obligation to share. Here's what happens in verse nine. It says, then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. They're sitting there and they're, you know, these are lepers. These are people who are the outcasts of society. And they stumble upon the provision of God and they're just gorging themselves with food and they're taking gold and silver and clothes and they're just taking it. And then all of a sudden it occurs to them, what are we doing? Our people are starving to death. We have an obligation to serve them. When they say that line that, you know, something bad will happen to us if we wait till morning, what they're saying is there's something bad will happen to them. Like if we wait, 
we'll carry the weight of that punishment because we could save people tonight. We could take care of people right now. There's an urgency to share. That's exactly what they did. They felt that sense of urgency and they go to the king and they tell the king. And let me tell you, remember God promised through Elisha the prophet that that next day, the provision of God would be handed to them within 24 hours. Those lepers go back to the king. They tell the king, the king is skeptical thinking it's a trap by the Syrians. And so he sends out some scouts to make sure they come back and they're like, no, it's true. The whole camp is wide open. There's food, there's money, there's clothing. Everything we need is in their camp. We need to go. And the king says, you know, the word gets out and there's that one guard. Remember the scoffer guard that, that Elisha said, you won't even make it to tomorrow. Well, here's what happens. He's kind of put in charge of organizing people getting over there and the people just rush. They're absolutely just, there's food and they're just so starving. They just rush and that guy gets trampled to death. He doesn't live. They get over to the camp and they take all that food and clothes. And now, of course, you know, now there's plenty of food, right? So now everything is cheap again, right? They have everything they need. This is the interesting thing, that God fulfilled this incredible promise through Elisha the prophet to the people of Israel. He, he re, re, you know, got rid of the famine in one day to take care of the people of Israel. These four lepers unwittingly were ordinary guys. God used them for something really extraordinary. And you have to think if you lived in Samaria at that time, if you were a person who trusts in God and you're crying out to God, God save us, God save us, God save us. This would have been a moment you would have told your grandkids about how God saved the people through this incredible circumstance. Extraordinary. God used four lepers, unnamed, not even named in scripture, four lepers to bring about something extraordinary. He uses ordinary people for his extraordinary purposes. So what does that mean for us? Is that you need to recognize that um, if we wanna have a stronger faith, that we have to step out in faith at some point. And maybe God's put something on your life that you know, maybe it's sharing with someone else. Maybe it is a step of faith where you realize that you, know, you have a certain gifting and it's time to serve. Maybe there's uh, you know, something that you know that you wanna, someone you wanna invite to church or invite to a life group or, or talk to them about Jesus. Whatever that thing is, you have to step out in faith and you have to recognize that God has placed you here on purpose. That includes even your struggles. All of your giftings, your finances, your opportunities, your job, your family, all the things that you have given by God, even your struggles, God has given you wisdom. There's a purpose that he wants to use in and through your life. And your faith will grow when you recognize that. And maybe even if you're listening in, you're like, you know what? I've never connected to God. Your step of faith today is to receive the grace and mercy of Jesus. That God sent his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for sin. That you're facing a famine spiritually. You're like the lepers who've been ostracized spiritually from God. And he has given you an opportunity to come close to him because of what he did on the cross through Jesus that all you simply do is receive the grace and mercy of God, that he washes away your sins by the blood that was shed on the cross. And by faith, you receive that in the same way that these lepers ran into the provision of God. God's provision for the forgiveness of sins is Jesus Christ. Maybe your step of faith is to receive the gospel today. I was thinking about just our church in general. And, you know, during this series, we've, at all of our campuses, we've been sharing about just kind of what's happening in our church and at each campus and talking about our life teams and how God is using our life teams uh, in different ways. And, and last week I shared how I think we had uh, 39 holes for people in life teams. Uh, and now uh, 10 more people have stepped into roles to take care of that. So we're down to 29 spots. Uh, I wanna highlight just a few of the spots. 
Uh, one of the spots is just our crew area. Uh, the kids, the grade school kids, we need men and women to lead uh, boys and young girls uh, down there in our crew room. Uh, we need some security folks to step up and, and take that role. And, and we need some people in the parking lot. One of the, the great ministries of our church, uh, it may seem insignificant to you, but um, it's when guests come in the parking lot, to have someone meet them there with a smile and help them find a parking spot. And when we have limited parking the way we do here, um, it's a big deal. And we need some people to step up. And, and here's why. Because God is reaching people in our community. Our church is growing. We have to sh- you know, move, uh, uh, you know, kind of shape our auditorium so that seats can go in certain places so that we can open up space for more and more people to come. We have to work hard to get our, our leaders to park in the back and park on the street just to open up parking spots for people under our lots. Why? Because God is doing something extraordinary. He's reaching people with the gospel. There are people who are finding Jesus and taking steps of baptism and, and serving and growing and connecting. And we need everyone to be a part of that. Wherever you're at, I just encourage you to take a step of faith today. So I wanna ask you before we move on um, and pray, what is your step? Where is God calling you to take a step out in faith? Let's take a second and pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, move in our lives, that you would help us to see the beauty of what you're doing uh, here uh, and beyond uh, our borders. God, I pray that you would help us to see clearly a step and, and to take that step. God, you would meet us where we're at and you would grow our faith. I'd ask that in your son's holy name, amen. If you are listening in and you've never taken the step of faith to to find Jesus, let me tell you what you do today. You just, in your heart of prayer to God right now, just tell God, God, I believe in you and I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. And then call on Jesus by saying, Jesus, I'm asking you today, would you please forgive me of my sin? I am sorry and I'm asking you, would you forgive me of all the things I've committed wrong against you? And then call out to him and say, Jesus, I'm asking you to lead my life. Help me to follow you. That simple step of faith is what makes you right with God. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for any of those who are listening in who take that first step of faith today. I pray you would put your Holy Spirit in them and help them to sense your presence inside and help them to be connected uh, and growing in their faith. And we ask that in your son's name, amen. Well, thank you so much for listening in. I just wanna say, um, you know, for all of those who give online and uh, and all of those platforms, thank you for the way you give. You've allowed us to continue uh, to serve. Uh, I mentioned last week in person that uh, we have trucks going out from our Send Network disaster relief team uh, that are sending trucks down to Florida. And I think they've been able to feed over 180,000 people per day down there through our network. And so it's giving like what you do by giving to LifePoint. We give a portion to that uh, along with the other churches in our network to make things like that happen. So thank you so much for the way you give. Till next time, God bless.